person one loves person two guess what shenanigans ensue person one hates person two guess what still shenanigans ensue person one fake dates person two guess what you guessed it shenanigans ensue co-host one co-host two the name of the show I'm Jasmine. And I'm Jane. And welcome to Shenanigans and Sue. A podcast where, do you believe in love at first sight? Me neither. Each episode will watch a rom-com and discuss its merits as a member of the rom-com genre. We'll cover well-worn classics, hidden gems, and everything in between. We'll give you our unsolicited opinion on every trope, caper, and flim-flam the film used or maybe abused. And of course, the the shenanigans. shenanigans! So this is Jasmine's <laughs> birthday episode. Yay. Happy birthday, Jasmine. Yay! Thank you. Happy birthday, future me, because we're recording early. Yes, let's just pretend. Pretend. Suspension Okay, okay, okay. Happy birthday to <laughs> me. This is two days after your birthday. You one year older. <laughs> <laughs> so when I suggested that she pick the movie for this episode, she decided to kick off the holiday season with a castle for Christmas. Yes. Okay, so full disclosure, we definitely watched this movie last Christmas season, <laughs> which is kind of part of the inspiration for even starting this podcast we loved this movie so much so we spoke a bit when we were promoting the podcast about how this came as a bit of a running joke between jasmine and i watching movies during quarantine i did a cheesy christmas movie countdown last year 10 christmas rom-coms in 10 days and did like a little bit with it and jasmine watched i think you watched like half of them well you started <laughs> and then you were telling me about it and i was so jealous that i was like oh, what a movie you. <laughs> so jasmine watched quite a few of these cheesy christmas movies with me and I would write like a little bit of a synopsis and some of my observations, but it's all Instagram stories. So it's not a long medium by any means. And one of my friends, shout out to Ashlyn, she suggested that I write a blog about this. But then I spoke to Jasmine and I was like, you know how we keep joking about starting a podcast? What if this is the podcast? <laughs> yeah. So... Big thanks to Ashlyn. Big thanks to uh, Castle for Christmas, because this is kind of part of our origin story. It is. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie will always have a special place in our hearts. Seriously, we had to tell you all about it because this is really why we're here, this movie. Yes. Oh my gosh. I guess, should we get into that plot synopsis? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Sophie is a best-selling romance author, but is facing major backlash after killing off the romantic lead in the latest installment of her book series. She escapes to a small town in Scotland where her father grew up. There she meets the curmudgeonly duke, whose name is Miles, who is facing pressure to sell his family home, which happens to be a castle, but a castle in serious disrepair. Sophie falls in love with the castle and wants to buy it. Miles agrees, but hopes that he will be able to drive her out and keep her non-refundable deposit before the sale goes through at Christmas. Shenanigans ensue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So, like, as far as plots go, this movie and why we love it and it's such a delight is it hits so many tropes. It is so predictable in the best way. 
<laughs> it is chock-a-block full of shenanigans and tropes and as you said predictable in the best way like it's so satisfyingly predictable it really is it's uh, every moment of predictability is a comfort because it's done very well yes. it's very fun it is it's it's done so well we were talking quite a bit about how some of this dialogue in the hands of other actors might not be so successful because a lot of it is one, extremely cheesy, and two, depends on the timing of your scene partner. Oh yeah. So you have the setup and your partner has to finish it off and the back and forth, you need to get that timing. That volley. So right for it to be funny and not read off or flat. It has to bounce back like a tennis ball. Bounce back (laughs) like a tennis ball. (laughs) Was that intentional? Yeah, I did that on purpose. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you slipped it in so gently. <laughs> oh, I just, because the volley, it's got to be like a tennis volley. It must go back and forth. Comedy is very delicate that way. And you know, at times, like it's Brooke Shields. We know she's hamming it up. Mm-hmm. We know she's being overly saccharine, but <laughs> it's still really fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. And so some of the lines, it's like really held back and a soft delivery. And some of it is more forceful and leaning into them like getting at each other so knowing which lines to do that for is also really important because if you're going hard on every one of the lines then it's not going to have that nuance and humor either it's true and i think that's helped by the location a Mm -hmm. new yorker like not just an american but a new yorker (laughs) in scotland with you know the differences of humor a lot more dry Deadpan. Yeah, dry, dry, dry. A little bit darker as well. I love that comedy. I'm really into it. And so her being a little more over the top and him being a little more reserved and pulled together, the play back and forth between the two is really enjoyable. It is. It lends itself, and we'll get into tropes now, but to the sunshine and grumpy trope that we're dealing with. Ooh, yes. Okay, let's list those tropes. Yes. So um, we have enemies to lovers, grumpy and sunshine. Running away to escape a scandal, mistaken identity, forcing a grump to sing and or dance, a dog changing alliances. <laughs> the dog changing alliances. I didn't know that funny. that was its own trope. I'm... It so is. <laughs> um, a fake out kiss. Someone reading or listening to watching something important to the other person. All in caps. Montage. Love a montage. Grand gesture, horse riding, and throwing something at a window to get the attention of someone. Oh my gosh. Some of these I don't even realize are tropes and it makes me laugh so much because they're so good. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into these tropes. Okay. Well, obviously enemies to lovers is obvious. We've recently come to the discovery that Jane and I are somewhat partial to that one for some reason. We've ended up loving those movies. Only slightly. We'll see. Maybe we'll have one that we hate. Yeah, maybe. And this is also not something that I've been consciously aware of as a trope I enjoy, to be honest. It kind of emerged. We just looked at the stats. (laughs) Yeah. And the stats don't lie. Upon review, we noticed this statistical anomaly. A trend. Um, (laughs) So... 
We'll move on to Grumpy and Sunshine. <laughs> so Grumpy and Sunshine is actually like super fun in this. Mm-hmm. And oh gosh, she's too much sunshine. Let's just get that out of the way right now. She's supposed to be a New Yorker. Yes, she's no New Yorker. She's acting like she's from and LA. she's supposed to be like a born and no bred offense, New LA. <laughs> Or maybe offense. Yeah, maybe. You always mean your offense. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But she's supposed to be a born and bred New Yorker. Yeah. Who is this person? And even the New Yorkers that I didn't know were born and bred New Yorkers Mm -hmm. that are maybe a bit softer on the outside, don't have an accent, certain things like that. Once you get to know them, (laughs) you're like, oh, yeah, this is a New Yorker. You know what I mean? And so I feel like you see it in her weird rant when she kind of like snaps. Mm -hmm. That's kind of in the spirit of it where I'm just going to tell you the truth and you're going to deal with me but it's not really look you know new yorkers get a bad rap for not being friendly or helpful and they are they just in a rush yeah yeah yeah. there's like the best way that i ever heard it said is that new yorkers are kind but not nice and people from LA are nice, but not kind. Yeah, oh, that's that's a really good explanation. And so for me, I've really internalized that. And I'd rather have someone be <laughs> kind. You don't need to say it nicely. I just need you to have my back. Mm, <laughs> yes. Help me find Union Square. Walk with me, and talk with me. And will be like, me. yes. Anyway, the whole point being is that she is way too willing to engage with people, to like make connections. New Yorkers mind their business. Like for real, for real mind their business. Oh, but I kind of disagree with that part. Do you mean like in the hotel? Well, just with people in the town in general. I would argue that New Yorkers are very quick to have a conversation with people. It's just that I don't have any expectations of that going anywhere. Mm, But you see, she forms relationships. I don't know. To me, it struck as odd, especially because she's famous and people recognize her. I think that she'd be even more reluctant to engage. Maybe it's her expediency towards friendliness, but honestly, too, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people treat her like a person Mm. and that's probably refreshing to her. Yeah. Immediately, immediately upon going in, uh, Maisie, who owns the inn or just she just worked there. Not entirely sure. Yeah. And so Maisie is immediately like, I'm so glad you killed off that main character. I know the entire world hates you for it, but (laughs) he was the worst, so... Thank you. I think you're right in that sense, in that they understand her when she's been facing all this backlash for killing off this character. I love that. I love that she's able to have these fun little connections because I find myself doing similar engagement with random people when I go places, but I'm also not staying there long term. So there's no expectation that it's going to go anywhere. I think part of it is that like here in South Africa, and so I'm comparing my experience between living here and living in the States, like here people are so ready for a fat chat about anything so I think I'm comparing that to how I found it to be quite different ah. um, in living in New York cashiers will so easily just ask you oh I see you buying this what are you cooking for supper or whatever you know oh like, yeah that's not a thing <laughs> yeah you see so you'll be looking at something and someone will come and they can see you struggling to decide between two colors of a t-shirt And someone will say, oh, I think the red will match you better. I literally made friends with someone in my neighborhood when I went to do a COVID test because I have to test twice a week for my job. Mm -hmm. And I have to wait and fill out the forms. And I'm talking to the woman who's about to do the test. I'm talking to the guy who's just like hanging out. Mm -hmm. Got to know them a little bit. I saw him a couple days ago. And so we stopped and said hello to each other. Yeah, like I'll do that with people. (laughs) 
the understanding is that neither of us is on a rush currently. Yes. Like the same way I'll do that at a bar. Yeah. I would not do that in the grocery store line. You pay and get out of the way. No, you understand the situation that you're in. And it totally makes sense. When I came home after being in the States and I went up in a restaurant and I asked where the loo was, and I had to sort of slow myself down and remember, oh, right, I'm in Cape Town at the moment. We have a bit of small talk first. I'm not in New York <laughs> where it's like, get the information and go. So it requires adjusting yeah. a little bit. Anyone who's lived in New York for any period of time and has embodied that has a story like that. It's very, very funny. <laughs> it's always a delight to me. Anyway, we were talking about Grumpy and Sunshine, I believe. So aside from the fact, you know, we, we question how sunshiny she is. It's still a really fun trope. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? He portrays as a grump, but he's really, really such a good guy. Mm-hmm. And she keeps insisting that everything's fine and happy and hunky-dory. And she's genuinely suffering. Oh, she's going through a really hard time. It's interesting to watch it play off of each other. Yes. It's such a fun dynamic. Which leads us very well into running away to escape a scandal. She's, you know, going through a really messy, pretty public divorce. Yes. And um, backlash Mm -hmm. from killing her character. As a result of the divorce, making her disappointed. (laughs) Yes. And I think how they set the scandal up, like it was believable enough for me. I've seen how upset people get over their favorite characters being killed and... Sometimes the running away to escape a scandal seems kind of arbitrary, but to me, this one made sense. She's a very well-known author. This is happening on the Drew Barrymore show. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these things can be incredibly far-fetched. How is this person going to go live away for a month? But she literally can work remotely. Yes. You know, she's just typing and yeah. she can be in contact with her editor. So it makes sense. Yes. And what also makes sense is that they build into her backstory that her dad's family used to live in that town and that she'd been meaning to go with her dad for a very long time. Yeah, this loss of sense of self, Mm -hmm. this confusion, the upheaval she's thrown her own career into by killing off a character. (laughs) Ultimately, it's a choice she made. Yeah, she did. And she declares that they can be happy that it was a painless death. I know, which is so funny. (laughs) She loses it a little bit. But listen, we've all been there. No judgment. (laughs) And it leads to a very funny callback when Miles looks up the video clip of how she's violently describing how she could have killed off the character and he gets up and goes and locks his bedroom door. I thought that was a very funny (laughs) callback. I didn't notice him get up and lock the door. That's really funny. I wasn't paying attention. Yes. That's so good. Um, You know, Brown is her married name. She's been using as her pen name. She ends up exploring her roots and ultimately her McGinty ancestry was very important to this growth moment in her life. Yes, and she changes her surname back. Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. And then uh, we have Mistaken Identity. Classic. And so much fun. So many princes and royalty pretending to be commoners. I don't know why we keep doing this. It's so (laughs) dumb. But it's so much fun. We're having a resurgence of people talking about like Princess Di because of the issues the royals are currently having. Ultimately, we all know that that's not a fairy tale that you want to aspire to. Don't marry royals. But here we are with the secret duke. I love it. I'm so hyped. (laughs) Some people argue that it's a human rights crime to be born into royalty because you're just like captive. When you look at the facts... Yeah. But at least he's not a well-known royal. He's just a part of the aristocracy. (laughs) 
so not as bad as a prince. Yeah. She's not having to like be in the spotlight really no. any more than she is as a famous author. Yeah. A dukedom. What do you call that? A duchy? Is that the right one for Duke? I have no idea. <laughs> Back to mistaken identity. Sophie arrives at the hotel and Miles is busy with some sort of handiwork. And then when she goes to the castle, she sees him again. And Sophie says to Miles, oh, you work here too? Because <laughs> he's in his overalls. Oh, and this leads to like a running bit where Miles offers to give Sophie a private tour of the castle. And Sophie asks Miles... So who owns the castle now? And he says, oh, some royal ass. Yep. <laughs> and then it's later revealed that he's the some royal ass. <laughs> <laughs> I am obsessed. It's really fun. He goes all over town just helping. <laughs> and it's really nice. They establish that the town is in a large amount of debt. Something to do with the farmlands being over leveraged. Yeah, something to do with how Miles's father bankrupted the estate somehow. Yeah, and if they lose the lands, then everyone loses their homes, essentially. So he literally just goes around and makes sure that things are kind of taken care of the best he can, which is sweet. It's just so lovely. Yeah. What a sweetheart. And what I also enjoy about how this trope was executed was that it didn't drag on for too long. It was also clear why he was hiding his identity. But he didn't try to extend the ruse, no. shall we say. Like, it's resolved pretty quickly. Oh, you know, um, we talked about this once. Yeah. Where you mentioned something like, you're supposed to reveal something big at, like, minute 20-ish or something. Oh, yes. I wonder if that was the minute 20. They don't give you any of her backstory aside from the interview, mm -hmm. which is lovely. I, I'm actually a big fan of that. I think that knowing how they break up isn't important to this story. And so just being like, it was a messy breakup. She killed a character because she was heartbroken. She probably shouldn't have done that. What's done is done. I'm going to go on the show and I'm going to have a breakdown. I need to leave and escape. And that all happens in 15 minutes. Yeah, you may be right. And so like his reveal is very, very early on. Their tension and argumentative back and forth happens very, very early on but it's not like we spend this entire movie hating the idea of them being together and somehow they're pigeonholed together yes. they were just misunderstanding one another and the circumstances in which they meet cause the antagonism because they're vibing very early on so if the two of them had just like met at the bar at the hotel it would have been a done deal we wouldn't have had a movie nope and we should just talk about the dog now <laughs> that dog is an agent for chaos in this movie and I love it this dog throughout the movie movie is like a canary in that it's a constant indicator of where their relationship is currently oh, really i hadn't noticed that well just that like the dog just keeps meddling until they're kind of friendly and then chooses her side so that the guy will stop being awful to her and then eventually he's back to both of them everything's fine we're good like this dog the dog was doing the most the dog is doing the most <laughs> even from like literally pushing her in oh yes you're right the meat cute it's a very classic dog runs up jumps up and smacks her and then she falls into his arms Mwah, classic that's one of the cheesiest tropes yep. and i approve of it every time every time it's just so funny everyone knows that it's dumb <laughs> and i love it <laughs> it's just one of those tropes that i'm always behind because it's stupid and we all know it's yeah. stupid and it's just delightful. Yeah, I'm not here for great art. I'm here for <laughs> some joy. 
Yeah, and after Hamish knocks her directly into the arms of Miles, (laughs) Hamish is so fond of Sophie, even though what Miles says is, usually you don't take to strangers. And then the Duke says to Sophie, what is this? Have you meat in your pocket? (laughs) And I... (laughs) something about that sentence just really kills me i really love it so much it makes me laugh (laughs) then another one of actually one of my favorite tropes is forcing a grump to sing and or dance it's one of my favorite tropes (laughs) is it really first of all yes it really is i think you didn't like it in 13 going on 30 no because that was the flash mob <laughs> aspect of it. Oh, okay. It wasn't the mock It's the group dance. aspect of it. It was the group dance aspect of it, I think. Okay, okay. That, but you're right, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting that you're bringing it up like that. I like this trope primarily because of Patrick Dempsey and Amy Adams in Enchanted. Ah. That is my favorite execution of this trope. And I really enjoyed it in this movie as well. It is really good. Because nine times out of ten, the grump can sing and or dance. Yeah. They just choose not to Mm -hmm. because it's not cool or they're not participating in this activity. And so I'm like, have some joy in your life. Yeah, we're not doing this to be good. No, or to look cool. We're doing this for fun. (laughs) Yeah. And it goes even a step further where one of the big takeaways for the entire town is that he promises to always have a Christmas Eve ball at the castle for the entire town. It's so nice. It's so wholesome. I would love to attend that Christmas Eve dance. So good. Which is also like... Under no circumstances would I ever want to live in the 1950s. Same. Because I think at the moment is the best time to be alive as a woman of color. But something that I do miss from that bygone era is going to a party and everyone knows how to dance. Yeah, that's literally the only thing I'm nostalgic for when I think to older times. only thing. I feel that way about like the 20s. I'll feel that way about when I watch like Bridgerton with their like gavots yes. and things. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh. And maybe some of the fashion. Oh, yeah. I want, I want a big dress. I'd love a hat <laughs> and a fan and a big dress. But chamber pots? No. no, thank you. Not being able to have education? No, thank no, you. No, thank you. Modern medicine? No, thank you. Bigotry? Mm-mm, Yeah. But dancing, dancing, pair dancing, and going to an event Ooh. and everyone knows how to dance? Yes, please, sign me up. I'll pretend that's the only part that existed, if <laughs> I can wear a costume. Yes. <laughs> so are there any other of these tropes that you want to head on, or do you want to move on to the shenanigans? No, oh, we no. have to We have to hit the, the montage. montage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just saw it. I just saw Big and Caps. Montage! We'll get to the others. Well, the others are as important, but we have to do montage. Okay, first, really quick, everybody. Everyone should know we love a montage. <laughs> the more montages, the better. <laughs> Pack them in. Yeah, I mean, Pretty Woman was saved from a fail, almost primarily because of the three excellent montages. Three montages. Three. And all delightful. And this one... Just to have one single montage that is better than all three of those montages. Oh my goodness. It is a Christmas montage. It is a falling in love montage. It is a single day out and about in nice surroundings montage. And it's all soft focus. Soft focus. Soft focus. Unnecessary montage. Unnecessary. (laughs) 
Soft, soft focus. focus. <laughs> so good. Soft focus. <laughs> that concludes the ASMR portion. <laughs> I can't. I'm dead. It's like my favorite. It's so funny. I don't know why they did that. And it's so unnecessary because we already have him reading one of her books which hits on a trope that we didn't get into too much because that trope was interrupted by this soft focus montage okay because like brooke shields looks incredible in soft focus (laughs) so i love that for her but like it's so weird i think the way it was like interspersed as well the montage just why was it there but it also brought us so much joy, so I'm not really complaining that it's there. It was very unnecessary, but also now I'm kind of like, why aren't they all soft focus? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask If as you're well. falling in love, then the montage must be in soft focus. Also, in movie time, we've seen this like five to ten minutes ago, so it just made it even stranger yeah. to first of all watch it in montage and watch it in soft focus montage. It was literally like that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're right some of it was literally that day they've just gone on their walkabout <laughs> of the grounds they've literally just done so this funny i think we're going to wrap with the tropes because some of the ones that we've missed uh, we'll deal with in some of the shenanigans so on to the shenanigans 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 shenanigan one for me the drew barrymore show oh my word <laughs> That was so great. Because Brooke Shields is an executive producer on this movie. She and Drew Barrymore must be tight. That's great. She's incredible. She's just acting like she's on her show. I bet she just treated it like a day on the set. Yes. She's not acting at all. She's just being (laughs) Drew and I just can't. It's so good. So good. And it's such a good setup as well. Mm -hmm. It gives us all the important information in three minutes or less. Yes. And it's like how she's driven even further to run away. By she, I mean Sophie. Because even Drew Barrymore turns on her. Mm-hmm. Even Drew Barrymore is like, so I don't usually do this. I usually try to be diplomatic. But how could you do this to us? How could you kill off this guy? Yeah, she's upset. And like, well, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. We'll be back after this break. And like literally <laughs> throws her under the bus. So funny. <laughs> One of my first shenanigans was that uh, Sophie goes to Scotland to escape the, the scandal and is almost instantly recognized by so many people. Yeah, she thought she was like getting away. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been writing for? They have books in Scotland. Although, to be fair, she goes to a small town. Right. And it works out in her favor because no one she encounters there who knows her and is a fan of hers is upset at her. It's kind of silly, too, because people don't actually recognize authors. Like, let's be honest. No, they really don't. Yeah, like, I know what Stephen King looks like, I think, but I don't know that I know. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to pick it Yes, you know, but you don't. If he walked past me on the street, I would have no idea. Like, I know what his black and white headshot looks like. Exactly. And if I saw the back of a book, I'd be like, oh, that person's reading a Stephen King book. But if he walked but- by me in real life, I'd be like, oh, it's an old guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't... Yes. I just find it a little unrealistic. There are also so many authors, I love their books, but I don't 
even know what they look like based on their headshot. Yeah. Because some of them don't even put it at the back of their books. Like, there's a fantasy author that I've been reading a ton the last, like, two years. Mm-hmm. But if you showed me his headshot and the headshots of, like, four other guys that are similar in type at all. You wouldn't I would be able to pick them out? 50-50. Like, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, like, one of those things. And I just don't really understand all of that. But Movie magic. We're going with it. Yeah, we're rolling with it. I also have another one really early on that I was really pissed off about. Yep. You can't throw popcorn in a New York City apartment and not pick it up. I didn't even notice this. I don't care how mad you are. <laughs> she's looking at the pictures on the wall, her, like, pictures of her marriage and her life. Things are falling apart. She's upset. Uh... She's eating her popcorn after the Drew Barrymore meltdown. And then she throws popcorn at the pictures and then just, like, walks away. I noticed this the first time and I was mad about it the first time watching this movie. I was mad about it again. She doesn't have, like, a live-in housekeeper. You know what I mean? Like, there's no one there. Pick that up. Jasmine, explain to... Oh, no, wait. Are you talking about in New York specifically or just in general? In New York specifically. Think of the pests. Yes. You can't do that. Yeah. I'm not the tidiest person in the world. I can be really bad about clothes being on the ground and things like that. But food? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. You don't, you can't. Maybe, maybe Jasmine, she walked past the things on her way to get a dustpan and a broom. Maybe that's what she was doing and we just didn't see it because it wouldn't have been compelling in terms of storytelling. Okay. <laughs> you sound not convinced at all. Because <laughs> I'm not, but... <laughs> But I love and respect Maybe you. Maybe she did it. I'm going to go with it. Nah, you don't have to. I'll tell myself that story. <laughs> um, these two are kind of linked. When Sophie first has the tour with Miles and she sneaks off to find the carving of her father's name. In the door, yeah. Yeah, in the door. And then Miles catches her and that sort of leads to the start of their antagonism. And then when Sophie decides to buy the castle... Then Miles gives her what he calls the official tour, but shows Sophie everything that's wrong with the castle, uh, how it's dilapidated, how the wiring's not working, how- So many problems. Some of the rooms aren't heated. Just so many problems. Yeah. The official tour to scare her off. It's very good. Yes. And at the end, he says, here's the key to my castle, and it hands her- a real old, big, literal... A literal skeleton key. That was very funny. Even the premise <laughs> of all of that is such a shenanigan. Yes. The idea that you will inherit this grand castle or manor, but the stipulation is you must sleep in it and make it through till morning or like other things like that. It's just (laughs) such a corny thing to do and I love it. And then tied into that, well, this is kind of a shenanigan and a trope, but all the ways that he tries to drive her out and make her miserable, those are so predictable, but so enjoyable to watch play out. Making up fake deaths in rooms, showing the leakiness, the heating is bad. Putting her her in the worst room so ridiculous also why does she let him do that she could just be like i am promising to stay in the castle i'll go sleep in the other room yeah i think he puts her off by saying that one of the dukes died in the bed in that other room but then she spends enough time in the library and reads through enough stuff that she quickly realizes that he lied whenever she figured out the lie why'd she continue to stay in there i don't know either it's such a silly thing (laughs) 
<laughs> shenanigans. Yeah, maybe at that point was when the knitting group oh, had made yeah, it cozy cute. already. So, which leads us to the knitting group. The knitting group. I want to be a part of that knitting group. I want to be a part of that knitting group. I love knitting. I just went to the sheep and wool festival. Aww. I love knitting. And you're so good at it too. Like Jasmine can make all sorts of things. Thank you. What I can make. That's very generous. <laughs> it's not. It's true. You'll have to post some of your creations. I can knit in the sense that I can make a square. A square is just a very short scarf. You're basically there. (laughs) I'm almost there. Yeah. I feel like if they could teach Sophie how to knit, they would also take me in and teach me how to knit properly. Yeah, and I like being able to make things for people. Yes. Ah, I want a knitting group. You could totally start one. I'm sure you'd have takers. That's going to be on my list. And I noticed the second time around... The influence that they put throughout the town. When she gets out of the cab upon getting to the front of that hotel or inn, the uh, light posts have things knit and wrapped around them. Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah, they incorporated the knitting group stuff into the town from the very beginning before you've even met them. Oh, and then it's explained later when Sophie comes into town and they're putting some knitting over, I think it's a telephone booth? Mm -hmm. Uh, And they said it's knitting graffiti or something. Yeah. Oh, right. They called it graffiti. That was so cute. There was another name for it as well, but I didn't write it down. I guess also too, we kind of moved past it already, but I want to know who wrote this film script because the amount of things where I'm like, I think that that's not at all how Scotland is and Americans just think everything cliche <laughs> is real. Um, But I loved it. The fact that she gets in a cab and she can't understand a word of what the cabbie is saying. We start to understand him more as the movie goes on, which I also think is a shenanigan that they had him lighten the accent as it goes on to like yes. give the audience the feeling of becoming part of the community and starting to understand a bit better. But I was like, I don't understand anything he's saying. I think you're a lot more generous than I am in your interpretation of that because I thought it was just like the trope, which I'm not a fan of. I just don't find it funny when someone can't understand someone else with an accent and then as you say she later understands him until the plot calls for her not to all of a sudden understand him again irritates me i think this one's really funny because it's just english but it's so heavily accented that did you understand what he was saying at the beginning because i genuinely could not understand a word coming out of his mouth i don't think you meant to i think that's the joke it's also just the cabbie that has a thick accent. Everyone else doesn't. So, like, I think that's supposed to be the joke. Is it, though? Or is it a regional thing? Because some people will say that other English accents, like an RP is maybe easier to understand than some would joke a Newcastle. Sure, but if it's a regional thing, they're all living in a very tiny town. But he doesn't have to be from there. Yeah, that's also true. Anyone who knows any Scottish folks better than us, or if any Scottish folks listen, do it be like that sometimes? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Can you help me? Is it that thick? And I also just like love the cliche of some of it. Like if I were going to reach for Scottish sounding things, I would be like, oh, haggis. Mm, Hamish. Like the damn dog's name is Hamish. Are you kidding? Hamish? That's like (laughs) such a, the dog's name really sets me off. I think it's so corny. (laughs) 
like an American for me being like, oh, that's my dog. That's fluffy. <laughs> Rufus. Rufus. Oh, oh, Rufus is good. What other shenanigans did you want to get into? Well, this is again from Hamish being an instigator. But I'm also going to call out Sophie for just trusting this dog that he'd understand her when she's like, I really want to make a cup of tea. Hamish, where's the tea? And she follows Hamish, who, being a dog, takes her to his owner, yeah. who is enjoying a bath. So Sophie sees Miles in the bath. But we know Hamish did it on purpose, because when she goes, Hamish, he covers his face with his paw. <laughs> <laughs> and Miles totally runs with it, and he's like, well, you there, you may as well, like, fill up my glass with whiskey. Yeah. There are no bubbles in that tub, by the way. That's sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> That was a clear bath. I saw it. And then more where I call shenanigans. Miles and Thomas are running tours of the castle to try and bring some income in. And they have a gift shop going. But none of it is really going very well. And so Thomas is giving a tour. And they end up in the library where Sophie's writing. And Sophie's recognized again. Oh, yeah. And she ends up giving a tour of the castle and it's really successful in terms of that people go to the gift shop and buy things but Sophie doesn't have all the history done quite well so like Thomas has to find ways to give her bits of the correct information and she gives it back and after the tour Miles comes up and says to Thomas well she's good with the peasants and I was like are you kidding me I know that he doesn't actually feel that way about the hierarchy. But no, he's being dry. <laughs> that was a fun shenanigans. I liked that one. I yes. like that Thomas is trying to actively get them to see that they're good for yes. each other too. Thomas is great. He's very invested in their relationship. And he tells Miles that he's being an idiot. Yeah. And I'm also very invested in his own side relationship that he has with Maisie. Yes. Oh, that's a delightful side relationship. Sometimes it feels so shoehorned in, but it's done so well. They have like a little history going. Mm. They have like a really nice resolution. And I thought that was done really well. I think the writer did really well by all of these side characters. Yes. I think that they're basically all given very satisfying plot points the young woman gaining confidence we've got angus speaking and dancing by the end yes all these characters get their own small resolutions in a really lovely way and it's really well done and it adds to the plot as opposed to like drawing focus right it doesn't feel as though you're adding extra exposition or anything like no it doesn't take time away yes they feel like real people they do why can't they all do this yeah i was much more <laughs> invested in them as people than as friends yes definitely i felt like i knew their personalities which can be hard to do in a very short amount of time um since we were on it really quick that young woman i'm forgetting her character's name i think it's rona but jane doesn't remember this from the first watch and then she did it again after <laughs> we watched it again and i was dying so she's very unhappy with the dye job she gets these green streaks that do not bother me at all but jane brought it up both times having forgotten that she was upset about it the first time um listen it's not the green streaks specifically that i am opposed to i am opposed to the uneven distribution of the green streaks 
And Sophie supposedly knows what she's doing. Okay, so to give context, Sophie says she grew up in a barber shop because her dad used to do hair. And so she does a little like zhuzh for all of her friends in the knitting group. And everyone looks great, except for... Do they though? Well, not great, but like... They're not good. Maisie's, <laughs> Maisie's hair looks the best by far. Yeah. And then it sort of just declines from there. But what irritated me so much about these green streaks was, first of all, I thought she was going all out green. And then it's like, okay, fine, you're not going all out green, you're just doing a touch. Well, I'm going to take screenshots. But the fact that the streaks were unevenly distributed... She already sent me pictures over a text. I sent Jasmine's... Of a bunch of hairstyles with green that are better. Like she was like, see, see, I'm just saying. I'm just- I, I felt very strongly about this. And I sent Jasmine, I'll actually put the pictures up on stories when this episode comes out. But there were options, right, Jazz? I sent you a full head of hair in green. I sent you different shades in green. I sent you green tips. I sent you yeah, an ombre. Yes, I sent you green streaks evenly distributed. It was so distracting. I was so angry. I can't believe that I forgot about this. I'm dying because you did it both times. You were <laughs> equally incest the first time too, I promise. Jasmine was like, you spoke about this the first time. So I said, okay, we'll speak about it on mic. I won't subject you to a rant about this three times. <laughs> I'm not mad about the rant. I think it's really funny. I feel like you were so angry. You blacked it out of your memory. You were just like, nope, 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 nope. I must have done. We will be very consistent in the inconsistency of what bugs us. Like hair and food. AKA Jasmine Soyster Sauce and Always Be My Maybe. Oh, one more shenanigan is, can we talk about the soundtrack yes. that is doing the most yes it is so on the nose to give you a couple of examples when sophie and miles get into the fight and sophie leaves the song that plays immediately after is something to the effect of i can't wait until christmas and this is happening on christmas eve day (laughs) like it's that level of on the nose that the soundtrack is serving throughout the entire movie yeah much like my giddiness when they break up in pretty woman and they play it must have been love but it's all over now it's it's that <laughs> level of corny on the nose it's that to a 10 the part where they're about to like sleep together the song that plays is i'm going to risk it all for christmas <laughs> That's a literal <laughs> lyric in the song that plays as this Which is happening. made-for-TV Hallmark movie was this song commissioned for? I can't. It may have been this one. I don't know. Oh, so good. <laughs> the first time I noticed it, I was like, ooh, that's on the nose. And then it stopped being, ooh, that's on the nose, yeah. to me enjoying what song lyric is going to directly correspond with the emotional world that's happening right now. <laughs> because I know it's going to be on the nose, and I know it's going to make me laugh. Oh, it's so good. I guess the last shenanigan that I would want to talk about is basically the whole last 20 minutes or so. (laughs) 
there's so many little things that have to happen for all of this to go on. They've had an unnecessary fight that was out of left field and so unnecessary. Uh, yes. She's decided she's going to leave a day early from the contract finishing. She's booked her flight on Christmas and she's going to miss the party and everyone is begging her not to go and she's found a perfect dress and she's not going to wear it, but he sends it to her to take with. <laughs> and like, she's gone to the airport, except they get only partway through town and the car inexplicably doesn't work tonight and they have to walk back to the inn and I guess I'll go to the party but before (laughs) she can even bother she goes back into the room he's at the window he's throwing snowballs one hits her in the face they get on horses randomly horses horses, and she gets in her ball gown on a horse and they gallop through the snow snow. to the party (laughs) where everyone is having a delightful time we listen to all this music and everyone gets a beautiful sentimental moment and we all confess love to one another oh. and i just can't this whole end oh and then there's the daughter reveal as yes. well which like i didn't really feel that wasn't entirely necessary either it was very sweet she wasn't supposed to be here she's but, supposed she to doesn't be at even her go here she doesn't even go here at dad's wedding <laughs> she's supposed to be at her dad's wedding she is <laughs> i can't believe you just dropped you don't even go here <laughs> I had to. <laughs> Never a more opportune moment. So thank you. Um, although with that, I did enjoy that he throws snowballs. And then when she opens the window, one hits her in the face. Yep. And then Sophie throws a snowball at Miles while he's on horseback later on as well. So it was very it's funny. It's really cute. But yeah, you're right. The last 20 minutes was doing the most. Doing the most. At one point, Thomas decides to have a heart to heart with his friend. This is so over the top, you guys. Castles are meant to have walls around them. People aren't. Shut up. (laughs) Oh, but he delivered it with all sincerity. Oh, he really did. Bless that actor. He's saying, she's good for you. Look how happy you are. She's good for the castle. Look at the people she's bringing. And now to just have that line, just in case there's anyone out there who didn't get it. Yeah, in case you missed all the parts where he's not letting people in because he was hurt by his ex-wife. And his father. Let me just let you know. Bravo, Lee Ross. Yeah. Bravo, because you delivered that with such sincerity. And before I forget, before we move on completely, something that bothered me the first time and it bothered me again and I looked it up at the beginning, the reason why she's able to sneak off is because somebody is there to talk about renting the castle for a wedding. And then later on, we see that there's two guests in the hotel sometime in the middle, maybe even a little closer to two thirds through. Oh yes, those people. There's a random couple that have a scene. So they come in and they're like, oh, we want to stay at the inn. And Maisie says, we only have one room left. It's the wedding suite. And the couple says, that'll be fine. And so in my head, I had put together, oh, this is Sophie's husband has actually rented the castle for the wedding they're gonna have the wedding at the castle that would have been a plot twist they're going into the wedding suite and she hasn't seen them yet like i had put together this whole subplot none of it ends up happening (laughs) and i still just like couldn't for the life of me understand why they bothered to put those two characters in the movie they don't make any sense yes was it a plot that got cut because that scene serves absolutely no purpose right it serves no purpose don't come back it's not a joke that's landing. That's why it was bothering me so much. So I looked it up. It's literally that parts of the Princess Switch 3 were filmed at another stately house on the same estate as the castle used for the Castle Dun Dunbar. What? 
So the two films were possibly filming simultaneously on the same estate, although in different spaces. Right. And so they took the opportunity to take those two characters from the Princess Switch 3 and have them like be in a crossover it moment. It was a cameo. <laughs> oh, it was a crossover goodness. episode cameo. That's amazing. I'm so <laughs> glad that you kept this under wraps. <laughs> this is amazing. And it bothered me so much I had to look it up. So that's what it was. I'm glad you looked it up. Is there a wedding in The Princess Switch 3? I don't know. I thought it was really cute. Listen, The Princess Switch 3, I did as part of my cheesy Christmas countdown. But the third movie, I really, I, I couldn't. I was so bored. So I don't remember those characters either. I don't know. But thank you for looking that up. It was really bothering Needed me. to know. I really hated that cameo without the context. Yes. <laughs> All right. And so that brings us to... Fun, Fun fab, fab, fail. We discussed this ahead of time and we came to a very interesting conclusion for this one. Yes, we did. Basically, we both agree that during the very first watch through, this was an automatic fab hitting all the tropes like champions masterfully weaving these little story elements dialogue snappy yeah all of it it is a quintessential rom-com fantastic and then watching it the second time we felt that it was almost an inverse of always be my maybe in that yes we actually liked it less the second time you start to realize some of the gaps in the writing you start to realize some of the plot holes a lot more on the second watch yeah you do and that's not to say it detracts from how we feel about watching the movie with we had a wonderful time watching the movie but i don't think we can in good conscience give it a fab yeah i think it is a very strong fun and the high 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 end of fun yeah i feel like it is a strong fun and it will definitely go into my christmas movie rotation i won't watch it this year again but next year yeah in two years probably yeah same definitely recommend okay that means that we're at our favorite part. Yes, we are. Yay. Yeah. Give me the chase, please. You <laughs> <laughs> were so excited. You barely got it off. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the cheese, please. Give me please the cheese, me the please. Cheese. I would love some cheese, please. We want the cheese. Okay. Three, Three two, two, one. one. Wisconsin sharp cheddar. Oh. <laughs> I like this. I don't remember who went first last time. I really don't remember either. I can go first this time. Oh, you go. Okay. I went with Wisconsin sharp cheddar. I did this because if you speak to an American from an American perspective, that's kind of the cheesiest cheese. Oh, interesting. I was waffling between picking something a little more international because of the international nature of the film. But ultimately, I was like, this is made for Netflix. I think it probably has an American writer. She's from New York. So I just went with a quintessential American cheese when i think of a piece of cheese it's probably a sharp mm. cheddar and it's probably a wisconsin sharp cheddar since that's where our best come from so that's kind of all i was getting at with that <laughs> i love it it's the cheesiest cheese oh you're making it sound so delicious i want a piece of that cheese now it really is and at the end of the day you know like there's nothing fancy about it a brick of wisconsin 
sharp cheddar is a must-have in so many American households. It's a thing that's weird to other countries. Like, they actually think it's weird that we have bricks of cheese in the fridge, especially, like, cheddar. (laughs) But, like, sometimes you need a little umami right before bed. And you're like, I'm going to have a big old bite of this cheesiest cheese because it's comforting. Now I'm just picturing you going to your fridge and grabbing a brick of cheese and taking a literal bite. I'd do it. I would do it. If I lived alone and wasn't beholden to other people wanting to eat that cheese, I would do it. (laughs) That I believe. So tell me about the Swiss-specific cheese fondue. Why I chose specifically Swiss cheese fondue is because when I first heard about fondue, it sounded so amazing, you know, in theory. What could go wrong? Turns out in practice, quite a lot can go wrong. The one and only time that I've had fondue was not very pleasant. It was like this synthetic-y, very, very yellow, not that great tasting cheese. Oh no. All the ingredients, like the breads and the things to dip in, dried out. People were double dipping. A fly flew into the fondue. No. Like it was just not a great time. The same way I feel like with some of these Hallmark movies, you can have not such a great time, you know? Yeah. In the wrong hands, Things can really go wrong with a movie of this caliber of cheese. But then, I didn't know this about fondue, but it's actually Switzerland's national dish. Like the traditional sense of preparing fondue, it's specifically with Greyer, is that how you pronounce it? Greyer cheese? And wine. Um, I've pronounced it Greyer? I don't know. Greyer. I've never been able to pronounce that name of cheese Yeah, it's the French onion soup cheese. Sure, that one. (laughs) And so they specifically use this cheese that I can't pronounce and white wine. And there's a very specific way to do it. And it sounds amazing. And it's turned me back around in wanting to try fondue again. Oh, boy. When you come to visit me, I have the fondue places. I'm so sorry you had bad fondue. I know where to go. Yes, I'm excited. Okay. Shout out to Kosh Kaval Garden in New York City. (laughs) When this kind of cheesy movie is done correctly, it can be amazing. Also, Grayer, it's a little bit sweet and a little bit salty, the way we have the grumpy and the sunshine (laughs) between the two characters. And also, fondue at its core is supposed to be a group activity. And the way that you really need in this movie your scene partner to be keeping the ball up in the air with the lines means that this movie is also very, very much required to be a group activity for it to succeed. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my specific cheese, Swiss cheese fondue. Oh my gosh. I almost regret doing the cheese last this time because I feel like this movie rating should now be changed to a fun do. Oh my goodness. I didn't even think of that. Show rating, sharp cheddar cheese fondue. Yeah. Let's go. I'm so disappointed (laughs) in myself (laughs) for not making that connection. And I love a pun. You know I love a pun. I know. I just got there. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm glad you got there though. (laughs) Well, there you have it. That was our cheesy discussion of A Castle for Christmas. Let us know your thoughts on the movie. Uh, there are so many shenanigans in this movie, so I'm sure we missed some. Please let us know any shenanigans we've missed. Yes, and you can also follow us on Instagram at shenanigansensuepod. Or if you have more long-form thoughts, 
We're going to get it right this time. You can email us at shenaniganssuepod at gmail.com. We did it. We did, we did it. it. Yay. We hope you'll join us next time. And until then, come on, warrior woman. Speak, speak to, me. to me. Bye. I really appreciate that Brooke Shields is always wearing sensible shoes. Like the majority of the movie, she is not in heels. I agree with you that it's a sensible shoe in that it's a flat, but you're in Scotland. It is too rainy and muddy. Those flats don't have enough coverage. 